Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Where we are dropping philatelic warheads on your foreheads. You can all figure that out. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 271. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Becca. Shout out to new member of the podcast, Anthony K, a CPA in Massachusetts. He requested that we discuss telegraph stamps, and for 10 bucks, we'll discuss anything. So, from Wikipedia, because Wikipedia is always an easy place to cut and paste a script from. At least he's honest. (laughs) Telegraph stamps are stamps intended solely for the prepayment of telegraph fees. The customer completed a telegraph form before handing it in with payment to the clerk who applied a telegraph stamp and canceled it to show the payment had been made. That seems like extra work. The first telegraph stamp issued was the English and Irish Magnetic Telegraph Company in 1853. This was a black stamp that said, Frank Stamp, at the top inside a fancy border and a star that said the English-Irish Magnetic Telegraph Company. The first government-issued telegraph stamps were issued in India in 1860. This was a a long horizontal format stamp with the Queen Victoria on it that looks like the revenue stamps of the time. And that's all I have to say. And we'll hold the pictures up to the microphone later. Yeah, go to the website. You can see the pictures, but you probably can't. In the United States, the telegraph systems were privately owned and the telegraph stamps were private issues. Most of the stamps were given as free francs to railroad and newspaper companies that did a lot of business with the telegraphs. Some were sold at a discount to officials of the same companies and some were sold at face value to the general public. Most U.S. telegraph stamps are far more common in unused condition than in used condition. A little background here is called for. The electric telegraph was one of the first telecommunications technologies of the industrial age. Its immediate predecessors were yelling really loud, but also included homing pigeons and smoke signals. This type of technology eventually evolved into the Pony Express and railroads. The earliest telegraph systems really were smoke signals and drums. In order for these systems to work, the sender and the receiver just needed a method of interpreting the signals. The first established permanent telegraph system was the Visual Telegraph of France, which consisted of a telescope, a clock, a code book, and some black and white cards to send a message about 10 miles. It was called the Telegrapha, which means far writer. 
By 1799, the telegraph consisted of a network of towers with mechanical arms covered with white and black cards spread all across France. Interestingly, in the beginning, the electric telegraph could not compete with the visual telegraph. This is why the early companies and stamps had the phrase electric telegraph because visual ones were already in existence. The basic science of the telegraph the basic science of the electric telegraph is to send an electric current through a wire and then break the current into a pattern denoting letters, as we all learned in grade school with the Morse code and its dots and dashes. I did not learn that in grade school. I learned it is a uh, seasick out. I'm too young. Oh. <clears throat> a seasick scout? Sea scout. Oh. Seasick. Yeah, we were seasick. <laughs> Two elements had to be perfected before an electric telegraph could work. A means of generating and storing electricity and a means of receiving the signal by recording the breaks in the current. As mentioned already, Samuel Morse did this in 1832 and made a single wire electric telegraph. Morse obtained a patent and shared his patent to gain the support of influential partners and obtain a $30,000 grant from the US Congress to place a wire between Baltimore and Washington. The first public message over Morse lines was, What hath God wrought? And the reply was, If you succeed, you will bask in glory. Yeah, I knew the first part, but I never knew the second part until I was writing this. Morse realized early on that he was incapable of handling the business end of the telegraph and hired an ex-postmaster to manage the business. Interesting, like Netflix with Blockbuster Video, Morse tried to patent... Morse tried to sell his patent to the government and several other groups of businessmen, but everyone turned him down. While this was going on, other people introduced other patents in the 1840s. The competition constructed competing lines using these new patents, and some were actually better than Morse's. In the 1850s, ten separate companies ran telegraph lines into New York City alone. Two lines operated between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and two between Chicago and Buffalo. Each line was a separate company. In 1851, the Bureau of the Census reported 75 companies with 21,147 miles of wire. That was the competition, and the one that offered the best electrical current and the fastest service dominated. Also, a message sent from Boston to St. Louis could travel over five different company lines, some messages were often lost and no firm would take responsibility for it. This contributed to the consolidation of the industry. While all this was going on, the Supreme Court declared in 1852 that those prior patents that created all the competition were an infringement on Morse's patent. Therefore, many companies were forced to merge with Morse. Between 1853 and 1857, six monopolies controlled the industry and by 1864, only Western Union and American Rapid Telegraph Company remained. Six monopolies? That's a lot of monopolies. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, it said six monopolies. It yeah, should have monop- been like I six oligopolies. Yeah, I don't think that word the, means what you route. think it means. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, considering Cox is the only one serving internet and really in high-speed internet in Las Vegas, and they're not a monopoly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how six qualifies anymore. <laughs> yeah, it would be an oligopoly. 
So now we get into the stamps, but you have to know the backstory to understand why they exist. So I collect telegraph stamps. Not just collect them. You is, have a fantastic collection of telegraph stamps. Is there anything you don't yeah. collect? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I collect telegraph stamps on Springer pages. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, do you know of anybody else that has pages for telegraph stamps? I know of nobody who has telegraph stamps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. He's sitting right next to you. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, so the Springer pages start with the American Rapid Telegraph by 1881, and they kind of end with the United States uh, Telegraph Cable Radio Carriers 1947. So there's a bunch of different companies and different telegraph stamps, but what's also intriguing to me is that there's a lot of telegraph stamps that are kind of easily found that are not listed in the Scott catalog. Maybe we should ask Scott. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's you've, at, you've stumped the expert at, at the end of the Scott catalog listing in the specialized. It says several telegrapher wireless companies other than those listed above have issued stamps or francs, but as evidence of actual use is lacking, they are not listed. Among these are the American District Telegraph Company, the American Telegraph Tele Typewriter Company, the Continental Telegraph Company, Los Angeles and San Gabriel Valley Railroad, the Marconi Wireless Telegraph Company, the Mercantile Telegraph Company, Telepost Company, Tropical Radio Telegraph Company, United Fruit Company Wireless Service, and the United Wireless Telegraph Company. The United Fruit Company one. Um, that one they actually know was produced only for stamp collectors. And that's one that you find uh, not really often, but you see them, and they're not listed anywhere more. And they are not listed anywhere. And people get very confused by them. And in the description of each small company in the, in the uh, Scott Specialized, they discuss that many of the many of these stamps were remaindered and then sold to some dealer, and then that particular issue has a particular uh, remainder cancel that the dealer put on it. Sometimes, like the uh, American Rapid Telegraph Company, they have, they have punch holes, and other companies they have star cancels. So, you have to read the catalog very carefully about that. Oh my goodness! You have a Colson Lake and Mendocino Telegraph Company stamp. Oh yeah, yeah, that's one like the, the big one. Yeah. yeah, one of the interesting things that Springer does is for the real rarest of the telegraphs, they put them all on one page, regardless of of the uh, of of where they appeared, where they would normally appear in the other parts of the of the pages. So basically, if you get rid of that one page, you can have what looks like a really complete telegraph collection for a small amount of money. And you have that page filled except for one stamp? Uh, except for two, two spaces, yeah. Two st oh, that's, that's impressive. Is it, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I have a color laser printer, just so you know. You're, you're looking at his book and talking like this past the mic. Because uh, you're busy uh, looking at his book. Oh, the producer is uh, screwing up. The engineer had to uh, tell the producer what to do. That's right. That's the producer job. knows everything. Well, I mean, honestly, when I saw the stamp there, I was kind of shocked because I have never seen that stamp in person before. <laughs> that is, I, I'm impressed. <laughs> I mean, really impressed. Which stamp is it? I can't see the page dips away from my view. Oh, that one? Cool. 
He also has the city and suburban telegraph company stamps of which there are counterfeits known. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so all three of those have certs. Yeah. But, yeah, that looks like a really easily counterfeited stamp. Yeah, you very low tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that will, will appear in the next week on eBay uh, produced on a laser printer. <laughs> but on the wrong paper, of course. Yeah, I actually wrote a little bit in the script about it. Uh, there are two uh, that the Colson Lake and Mendocino Telegraph Company stamps are very rare. They put up 250 miles of wire and then promptly went out of business. And then we're just absorbed into Western Union. So uh, that's one that, uh, you know, flip out your Scott's catalog and look up Colson, Colson Lake and Mendocino Telegraph Company. And you'll see it. It's a really sort of indistinct stamp. It looks really low tech, but it is really rare. And yeah. it has a cool story. <laughs> So why don't you talk a little bit about the remainders? Because one of the most common stamps is the American Rapid Telegraph Company. And that's the one that almost everybody will see all the time, especially with little holes punched in them. All it says in the Scott catalog is, 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 is in italics. It says, remainders with punched cancellations were bought up by a New York dealer. I'm not sure who the New York dealer was. I wouldn't be surprised if it was J.W. Scott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because he, he bought lots of things like that because he was so big, and he also wrote the catalog. Well, look at the date on it also. The date works. Right. 1881. Right. But you have to be really careful with the remainders because um, not all of the different stamps have the same kind of remainder, and there's often a big price difference between the remainders and the non-remainders or, or, uh, or the original stamps. Well, it says for the American, tele- the Atlantic Telegraph Company, it says remainders of these stamps without control numbers were purchased by a Boston dealer and put on the market about 1932. So it, it requires every, if you are going to collect telegraphs, you, American telegraph stamps, it, it, you have to read the fine print. Yeah. Right. The fine print is very, very good about talking about the establishment of the telegraphs, about how long, how long they were actually in business. And most of them were eventually all swallowed up by what became Western Union. Um, the other thing that's the other thing that's interesting is, is if you collect railroad-related stuff. Well, the, a lot of these telegraphs are built on the railroad right-of-ways, and so that's why you have something like the Baltimore and Ohio Telegraph Company, for instance. So, and that's why they gave that's why they gave these stamps to the railroad officials because they were the ones that the telegraph lines were actually built on. Yeah, I actually have all four of the denominations of the Atlantic Telegraph Company, but only uh, two of them have control numbers, which means two of them are remainders. So um, when you go to buy telegraphs, make sure you understand which is remainder, which is not, so that you're not paying original money for a remainder stamp. There were a couple, maybe 40 years ago, there was a um, there was a dealer in revenues in back of the book um, which I won't quote their names, but it was a couple. But they were selling some of their telegraph stamps. Allegedly, some of the um, control numbers were had been faked on them. <laughs> oh, I can I can I'm, see. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying. You just that have to have the right little printer because it just you know exactly. Yeah. So how since you brought it up, how do you tell originals from remainders? 
You're talking about a control number. Uh, you just got to – you have to have seen a bunch of them. And that's the problem is that um, telegraphs are not really expensive, but they're not – they're not uh, – you know, you don't see a lot of them. So – Are the control numbers just hand-stamped on them? Yeah, yeah, they're just hand-stamps. You know, and – well, and it depends because the different companies have different types of, of – of, uh, of control, you know, methods that they use for, to stamp and control numbers. I mean, some of the biggest banknote company companies, uh, like National Banknote Company and, and American Banknote Company, which printed American postage stamps, and also many foreign postage, foreign countries postage stamps and banknotes, they printed some of these telegraph stamps. And then you have telegraph stamps that are literally made by the uh, local printing shop down down around the corner, yeah. like like that. <coughs> Calusa Lake and Mendocino stamp, which was obviously printed at some local print shop. Right. Uh, and then speaking about control numbers, the California State Telegraph Company uh, has, I believe, it's just one stamp, but um, they have a control number that's hand hand stamped, uh, and then they have a control number that is uh, written in sort of a crayon. I'm going to ask a question because part of what's coming up, I think, may need an explainer to some people. Um, talking about the Western Unions being 16T1 to 16T115. You don't see a lot of Scott numbers that have a prefix number, a letter, and then a suffix number. Why do, why do they do that, do you know? Yeah, why didn't they just number them from... T uh, they did this with the uh, personal uh, postage stamps, the, the uh, computer stamps. They just numbered them all in order. They started with, I think, what is it? Uh, I forget what the prefix is. Q or no, it's not Q. It's it's something. And then they just went from one to number two hundred and seventy, and they ignored the companies. All the companies were just mixed in with each other. These right here, like sixteen T one is sixteen T is Wells Fargo, and one T is American. And I, I'm presuming they went in alphabetical order at some point. Or maybe by order of, of issue. Yeah. No, no, it's not. No, it's by order. No, by it's alpha, by it is alpha, yeah. alphabetical oh, that's order. Right, yeah. Because yeah. that's what I thought is, oh, they went oldest to newest. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that they're all jumbled together. It's, it's basically so just an alphanumeric system. Yeah. So Western Union happens to be the 16th alphabetical company. Right. And United and States then, Graphic Cable and Radio Carriers is 17. And then they have 115 different... Western Union stamps. Right. and But the interesting thing, too, is that it had to be uh, done later because there are quite a few of these uh, stamps that were issued in the 1930s. Like, when was the uh, United States one? I mean, admittedly, it's the last one. 1947. In so in 1947, I mean, is it just pure luck that it started with you, or did they number it after 1947? I think they numbered it after nine. Well, remember well they'd the, have to the because Scott, Scott cataloging system has changed a number of times. They used to have um, they used to have four digit numbers starting with with the, whatever we call Scott number one now, the five cent eighteen forty seven, and they had it as a four digit number. Right. So they've and um, number eleven used to be number thirty three. Exactly, yeah. and so and so they, I'm sure, th and this section didn't come into the catalog until much later. Well, do we have an expert? Because I believe that the letter 
U comes before the number w, uh, letter W, the number W, the letter W, yet it's uh, number 17T1. So it, these numberings were done before that stamp was issued, obviously. It made sense to somebody. Yeah. Or dollars. So anything which is uh, proved to be existing, which, I mean, after, you know, 75 years, I doubt anybody's going to come up with anything. But it would be uh, number 18T1 and then 19T1, et cetera. So when yeah, we have or, uh, or, telegraphs or, to the moon. Yeah. Or would it yeah. be or would it be like 15AT1? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. When we establish a base on the moon. And run a wire to and, it. And, yeah, and set up a post <laughs> office. That's going to be the number 18. Well, Western Union is Scott's number 16T1 to 16T115, and the second most common stamp seen. Western Union was the first nationwide industrial monopoly with over 90% of the market. State regulation was largely futile given the interstate nature of the industry, and on the federal level, Western Union's lobby was able to block almost any legislation. The few regulations that were passed either helped Western Union maintain its control over the market or were never enforced. Yeah, boy, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have tons of laws my, now my, that don't get enforced. My, how things haven't changed. In the 1880s, the Postal Telegraph Company started, and their stamps are Scott's numbers 15T1 to 15T030. John Mackey made a fortune from the Comstock load silver mine, and so he went all Elon Musk on Western Union by buying out existing bankrupt companies and merging them to compete with Western Union. Postal Telegraph never challenged Western Union's market dominance, but did control approximately 10 to 20% of the market at various times. And it sold stamps Scott's 15T1 to 15T55 up until 1932. Alexander Graham Bell patented the telephone in 1876, initially referring to it as a talking telegraph. Bell offered Western Union the patent for the telephone for $100,000, but again, like Netflix and Blockbuster Video, they declined. Sorry to keep hitting uh, Blockbuster Video for going out of business because they didn't buy Netflix. I still have my card. <laughs> I found one the other day. I was going through some stuff. I found an old Blockbuster card. I was like, what? So when you're asked for ID, you just flip out your Blockbuster <laughs> card. So other than the Postal Telegraph, you have the B&O Railroad with two different telegraph issues in 1885 that went along their railroad lines, and so they were also railroad topicals. Yep. Which I actually collect railroad topicals, so I do have a couple of those. Oh, cool. Do they have railroads on them? The ones I have don't. <laughs> so the topic being that they were traveling along the railroad as opposed to actually having a picture of anything railroad-related on the stamp. Well, actually, they were owned by the railroad. They, they were subsidiaries of the railroad. No, I'm just trying to understand the topical aspect. Yeah. I'm used to topical mostly being what's on the what's stamp. On the stamp as opposed to 
being owned by it. So it's just an interesting new take on topic well, that I, I didn't know. I suppose I could say railroad on the stamp. Yeah, it says B and, and O on it mm-hmm. in big letters. Yeah, most of the telegraphs that I – well, the reason I got started in a telegraph collection is because I bought a, uh, a U.S. collection that had the Springer pages and had some telegraph stamps on, in it. And because prior to that, I had no, uh, I had no exposure to telegraphs. So you started as a collector by default. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've found all these telegraph stamps, and, and my gosh, they're, they were in the Scott catalog. I'd never seen them in the Scott catalog before that uh, because they're way, way in the back. Um, but eventually um, uh, you come across other telegraph collections, and then uh, every once in a while an auction house will, will auction off you know, some of the better you know, telegraphs from a collection. They usually don't. Um, don't do a lot of the individual stamps because I don't know. I, I guess it's not a very popular area, but um, but yeah, they're they're really kind of scarce despite the you know despite the low cost. Yeah, it's one of the things one, in one of the rarity versus scarcity issues. Exactly. You and have we're, a ten dollars supply and demand. Yeah, you're back to a ten dollar stamp that you cannot find, whereas a hundred dollar stamp they're all over the place. Yeah, I mean it's you know. There's a very small supply, but there's even less demand. So, yep. Yep. there's only five stamps out there, and oh, but only three people want them. <laughs> when I was doing a little bit of research on this, I actually found a story of forged um, telegraph stamps in England. They never figured out who the culprit was that was forging them, but the forgeries are actually worth more than the authentic stamps at this point. Yeah, that was an interesting story because I believe it was a. Uh, Keep it in front of you. Uh, I believe it was Stock Exchange or... It was the Stock Exchange in London. Yeah. And so the person, they printed one shilling telegraphs or one shilling stamps, faked them, then used them on the telegraphs, took the shilling and put it in their pocket. A perfect crime. Yeah. (laughs) And these are, uh, I've seen them before on eBay and they are very scarce, and they're very cool. And uh, that's an interesting story about telegraphs. Anything Because there's other countries that have telegraphs. So you were talking about the Philippines. Right. They, the uh, the uh, Philippine Revolutionary uh, Government actually put out a stamp, Scott number Y3, where it says, if you uh, translate the Spanish, which is Correos y Telegrafos, so, so it's... The uh, stamp was good for po- regular postage mail, but also for use of te- on telegraphs. Of course, the question is: Is that did any did any area in the Philippines that was not controlled by the United States actually have have telegraph lines on it? And the answer is no. <laughs> so a stamp without a telegraph. Many countries issued telegraph stamps in, way back in that day, and uh, so it's not just the U.S. stamps that you see. Uh, a lot of, I I get a lot of collections that uh, they might have one or two telegraph stamps in them, and uh, it, it's always interesting to set those aside. And after you get like a whole page of them, then you then you start to wonder: Is there some place I can look these up? Yeah, like. Uh, but they're very popular if you try to sell them, yeah. especially if you sell them as a page. They're very popular. Yeah, people don't realize that the telegraph was a replacement for the regular mail. And uh, that these stamps, not in the United States because the United States had private companies. 
but uh, other co- uh, countries like the Philippines had government telegraph systems. And th- those stamps, when they're listed in the Scott catalog, uh, the prices are generally for postal usage. They're not for telegraph usage. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they, cont- they tend to be, uh, at times, extremely common on telegraph forms. And uh, to find a postal usage, especially of some of the higher value British Commonwealth stamps, you'll see revenue usages all the time. And a lot of those were telegraphed. Some of them were documentary. But uh, you want the postal usage to get the full catalog value out of it. And it's interesting because you can, uh, I was looking at this because I didn't know a lot of this stuff before I started researching it. The early issues, you can tell the early ones versus the later ones because they call it an electric or an electronic telegraph. Because, again, they had telegraph before this. It was just visual telegraph. And so they wanted to differentiate it. So whenever you see a sign that, or a stamp that says electronic or electric telegraph, you know you've got a stamp from the 1860s-ish area. So that's pretty cool. I think we also should say that the two major catalogs on this for worldwide telegraph stamps was a, there was a book first written in 1982 by a man named S.E.R. Hiscox called Telegraph and Telephone Stamps of the World. And then there's a another catalog published in 2013 called Telegraph Stamps of the World by John Barefoot. American telegraph stamps are listed and described in detail in United States Telegraph Stamps and Franks by George J. Kramer, who's better known as being a great collector of, of um, uh, Pony Express and Express covers and also tr- um, Transcontinental Mail, where he's won, um, exi- won large gold medals internationally exhibiting that. Yeah, but you know where he's really famous is being one of the co-inventors of the tube sock. Well, we are out of time. Next week, we will get to our discussion on postal stationary paper colors. Ah, let's hope so. And tube socks. <laughs> Please accept our apology. Until next time, we need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internets. You can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show here today, Stamp Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number, as we are an APS-affiliated club. If you don't have one, you should join the APS. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 271. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Albert. This was Becca. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting.
Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.